Good morning. Oh, man, another beautiful day here in the greatest nation on the planet, the U.S. of A, and we're coming into August rapidly. I got to tell you, folks, another great weekend here for Jimmy Williams as your host for Live a Life by Design. I am just so excited. The summer has been great. We've only been averaging about 104 to 108 degrees, folks, here the last week. It's been a little bit hot here in the heartland of America, but I'm going to tell you what's even hotter the guest I have today. Folks, you're going to be so amazed, shocked, and you're going to have a resource when we conclude this episode that's going to help get you in alignment with your team. And that's the first hint. Before we get started, are you feeling like some days you wake up and you just don't get things in sync? Are you feeling like you just are out of rhythm with what life has in store for you? It happens all the time. At Live a Life by Design, one of the things we want you to do is we want you to have a bigger, better, and bolder you on your own terms. And the best way to do that is by controlling our attitude and our mindset, right? If you've listened for very long, on 58 countries of listeners, the one thing we get is information back of how this helped you, whatever was said in the episode, to gain a little clarity, to gain a little more control of life. Well, after today's episode, I hope that you'll have another tool that you can utilize and that helps you get in alignment and gets your life with greater clarity, gives you more peace and wellness. So saying all that, it's an honor today to have with me a young lady that is just nailing it to the wall in world of success. Uh, I'm going to give you a little bit about her background. She's a founder and managing partner of Inline, the premier alignment advisory and coaching practice for teams and organizations seeking to rectify misalignment and enable optimal functioning. Her background includes innovating and delivering billions of dollars. That's with a B, folks. We don't like to use small numbers here on Live a Life by Design. We like the large ones. In value for shareholders and the public for over 15 years in both publicly traded companies and federal agencies. She delivered where many thought innovation or even agreement was impossible by leveraging her creativity and unique blend of EQ, we're going to talk about that in a moment, and IQ, to secure buy-in and align stakeholders. She's one of the few holistic mentors who dedicates time to support individuals in their journey to thrive while working with organizations and teams through her advisory and coaching practice. Welcome this morning, my newest best friend from the Washington, D.C. area, Rachel Richter. Welcome. Thank you so much, Jimmy. It's an honor and a pleasure to be on here with you and with your listeners. You know, I have this uncanny knack, Rachel, of just hanging with people that just inspire me. And I want you to know, don't want to embarrass you here on Live a Life by Design, your first appearance. And I mean that it may not be your last by embarrassing you with those great accolades because you deserve that. I've read your bio. I've read a lot about your companies. I am just innovated to the mindset that I need to get some alignment. So let's help, help our listeners today. How about that? I love that. Let's dive in. So I'll ask you the very question that I ask clients and people that I work with all the time. What calls to you in your own life where you would like more alignment? Oh, that's a great question. You know, folks right here, I test this early on a Monday morning. I don't know if I studied for this or not, Rachel, but let me give you my <laughs> heartfelt expression of, of response. The one thing that keeps me in alignment is, is, is I am a, a Christian man. I love to get my my attitude, my gratitude, and then also the Beatitudes all in line. So, you know, I try to be kind to people. I share kindness all over. One of my attributes is the spreading of peace and kindness to the world. That's just Jimmy. I've never had a bad day in my life. I've had some that were better. Uh, but Rachel, I can tell you, my entire team experiences this along with my wife of 35 years this September. And this is not caffeine or drug induced, Rachel. This is just pure Jimmy just pouring out to you today. Did that answer your question? Yes, I, I totally get that. And what has you intrigued about the concept of alignment, right? Because we can dive in. There's so many, it's a foundational practice and there's so many ways to enter it. And so I'm really curious what calls to you, because I think that would probably also call to your listeners. Yes, absolutely. Well, one thing I know our listeners experienced right along with you and your team, I'm certain, is this thing called a pandemic. Have you heard of it? Yeah, right. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Far <laughs> more than we want to hear of it. And I don't want another one. I've had all I want for a lifetime. Now, one thing that uh, intrigues me about your story and your company and how you help people bring great value is that this pandemic got us a little disjointed. Some people were working from home for the first time. We're using virtual meeting space now. 
in all types of ways. And then also, how do we get that culture? So, so one of the things I'm working on now is I have some team members that are newly hired in our company, and I'm trying to instill in them the culture that we always did in an in-person type relationship. How do I do that online? So that would be one of my first questions for you. And to sum up that question in one sentence, it is, how do I accurately reflect my culture and my company given all of the changes that have been going on? You did a great job. That's it. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you. So here's the thing. Uh, A story, a little story comes to mind. I have had a client, one of the, um, I think it was the VP of sales of a, a company I was working with. And we were working through creating greater alignment in the organization from the top down. And he literally on this Zoom brought over a four foot by six foot poster board that he was somewhere in his office. He goes, look, Rachel, we did it. We have culture. And it was a list of things that the company, I'm, I'm literally, my hand is uh, kind of going down these bullet points, right? There is a list of things that this culture was supposed to encapsulate. And he said, we did the culture exercise, but nothing came of it. And I said, okay, that's right. That's why we're here. You have written down your intention as a company of what you would like your culture to be. But those are just words at the end of the day. And while words matter a great deal, and we can get into the importance of language and all of that, along with words, there needs to be priorities and actions. If you don't have that, they remain words. And what's worse is that they're just sitting there. And so then people start to think that those words don't matter at all and they don't infuse that. And so, yeah, go for it. No, you're absolutely right. I'm just thinking the old adage, right? What I tell my team way back in the day we first started, there was just three of us, by the way, at that time, talk is cheap. Action is the loudspeaker to the words, correct? Absolutely. And so when you have those words, you know, I'll go to the definition of alignment. I think this is a good place to kind of uh, wade into that. Alignment, when actions accurately reflect priorities and intentions. To put it another way, when actions, priorities, and intentions don't connect, there's misalignment. And so we liked the practice of alignment is essentially, if you think about it, culture in action. Because if you don't have the action and the priority to follow up with your intention, your culture, what happens? Nothing. That's and exactly so, it. Atrophy, yeah. right? Atrophy. You, exactly. you accomplished nothing of your mission, which was to help the world be better at whatever it is you bring to it. In your case, helping them to thrive and help them to build more, um, if you will, unified groups or teams to help meet the objectives of the organization to, to solve the problems of the world. Right. Exactly. And unless those priorities reflect that intention and then the actions of your team, regardless of where they're geographically located and how they're set up, reflect that, then you don't see that happening. And that's where problems really begin. Oh, goodness. Now, you used a term. We don't use such profane words as problems. We use (laughs) challenges, Rachel. We are all about challenges here. But, folks, she's new to our show. We'll let that one go. No, I'm just (laughs) kidding you, Rachel. Hey, real quickly, though, tell me a little bit about yourself. How does a talented young woman get into alignment of cultures and actions in organizations? That's a beautiful question. So I am 36, and throughout my entire career, I have been doing alignment work since the beginning when I graduated college, but I didn't call it alignment at the time. What I called it was doing a good job. There <laughs> you go. Like, okay. I'm not, I'm not, you know, it's 22 years old in a company, lowest person on the totem pole. How do you influence? How do you affect change? You have no authority. You have no legitimacy. You've been hired to do something and that's it. And so the only way that you can create the real change that you know needs to be there, right? To solve the P word that we don't talk about. (laughs) Yes, yes, that's correct. Do that, you need influence, but that influence is not coming from your title, your age. I'm a woman, so certainly not my gender. I mean, let's let's be clear, a lot of subconscious stuff going on sometimes with companies. Um, So it's gotta come from somewhere. What it comes from is giving people what they want. 
if you are able to solve every single person's issues and what you're doing, they're going to say yes to whatever it is you want to do. That is, that is great words right there. So they're going to say yes to everything you want them to do because you are aligning them with what is really their defined goals. Correct. Exactly. That is awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And so I always thought Jimmy of alignment as table stakes to do the quote unquote, what I used to think of as the real work, the real work being systems, transformations, tech transformations, financial work, like all of that stuff, all the technical stuff. And what I realized is over time, I have a, I have a math background as well as a finance background. I like you already. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> oh, you are. Don't apologize for that. I like attracts like, man. <laughs> I see you. I'm a numbers guy, Rach. Come on. I'm a numbers guy. Exactly. And so that's where I cut my teeth originally was in finance for a publicly traded company back, back in the day. And the thing is, I started to see regardless of project or initiative, size, scope, industry, number of stakeholders, number of dollars, Whatever it was, the things I was working on were successful. And as I got older, I felt, wow, that's an anomaly. Because I had, for fun, got my project management certification as well. And I realized a lot of stuff fails. A lot. I mean, statistically, way more than um, 50%. It's kind of... It's, it's fascinating, really. So you're going to laugh, so, Rach. I actually try to fail more often. And why I use that old adage, what did Edison <laughs> say? I didn't find 141 ways to fail at getting a light bulb filament to work. I found 141 ways that it wouldn't function properly the way I wished. So think about failing, right? When you talk to your teams, I guess you talk to them, hey, you didn't really fail. You learned how we are not going to do it. Is that the kind of approach you take? Oh, completely. But the interesting thing is when you see the abject failures around you and you don't see people learning from them, but they repeat the same mistakes over and over and you go, well, gosh, I'm not experiencing that. What's the through line? What am I doing differently than everyone around me and why? And it was very strange for me because I am a huge fan of failing forwards and failing fast. And so when I saw this, I sat back and really thought about what it was that I might be doing differently than the people around me who were just as well-intentioned as I was. And so that's where the practice of alignment was born, was I realized the things I was doing consistently, repeatedly, and without fail in that space and in those regards needed to be codified and then created as a practice. Oh man, that's, that is a great story. I'm hinting to you, but you need to get someone on your press team to get that into a book. All right. That sounds really good. <laughs> hey, let's we talk a little bit. <laughs> yeah, my, my old, my whole philosophy of our team, you're going to laugh. When I started way back when I was, uh, I left the uh, international world of, of working for an international CPA firm after about five years. And I said, you know, I just have this gut entrepreneurial feeling. I just need to go create something and see what I can do on my own. Uh, I came from parents that were very um, low education based. My dad had sixth grade education, but he was an entrepreneur. He made his way and he worked hard, but he was in one niche that just really worked for him. Uh, my mother had a GED and then went back to school after I had gotten in school, uh, public school, and got a got an associate's degree in business. But other than that, you know, so what drives me is education. And I learned one thing. I listen to Zig Ziglar, Jim Rohn, Tony Robbins. I read everything I can get. I'm a sponge. And one of the things that Zig Ziglar said that we'd adapted as our core alignment for us starting our first CPA firm right out of that uh, international firm is if we just help enough other people get what they want, we'll get everything in life that we want. That was our whole philosophy. So we were working our tails off. So tell me a little bit about uh, your life as a child. So you've told me a little bit about starting your career. What what made you think of this as a career path for you as a child? I know you like math, but what else was it fed this? So I laugh because what you just said, by the way, um, I would say that we're both just to kind of put a fine point on what you just said, because I love it. We're in the business of making things better. I agree. That's what it is. And so when I was a kid, I felt um, I felt very confused and it covered everything else up. And the reason was. 
uh, you talked about your parents' background, which I deeply respect. And I, um, and it, it, it's a beautiful thing what you've been able to do and, and, and create from all of the learning and from your parents um, being able to model and show you, you know, behavior that you've been able to just, you know, leverage and run with. What I had as a child was picture this, a PhD in math marries a PhD in theater and they have a daughter. I am caught between two worlds. There is the creative, emotive EQ part of me. And then there is the pure logic, math, reason, almost taskmaster-like approach to life, very rigid. And I kept vacillating between these two worlds. And I didn't know how to reconcile my extreme interests in both until, and I always thought of it as almost like a, like a bad thing. Like, oh, if I could have just picked a thing and liked it, that would have been enough. Right. And I never, I was never able to get there because I have such interest in, in both parts of this world, EQ and IQ, if you will. And so as an adult, what's so interesting is that very thing that was almost out of alignment, my own way of thinking that I had to pick one or the other became the linchpin of inline, the linchpin of not only my success, but more importantly, why I got into this, other people's success, being able to help people succeed by being able to move fluidly between both worlds, and more importantly, connect concepts that people didn't think were previously connected. Wow. So at the end of the day, parents, PhDs, mathematics, and theater, yeah. Just got to ask, did you add up to a lot of drama? I'm sorry. That was a terrible joke, but as I a child. Love it. The answer would be yes. Jimmy, the answer would be a resounding yes. Great. Great on you. That was it. That sorry. Was sorry. I just had to go there. So I have a daughter, <laughs> a daughter working on her BFA. She's a senior at the university of Oklahoma now and she's finishing up her BFA and going to get her master's. And, and I'm always teasing her, her around my wife. She's 21 now. And of course at 21 of keep in mind, I don't know about your team, but her baby becomes omniscient. They know everything at 21, or at least I oh, thought yeah. I did. Right. So okay. no. So, so, so at the end of the day, you know, I'm telling my daughter, I go, Hey, BFA. Great. Um, where are we going with this? Cause dad's a numbers guy, accountability. I set benchmarks. I reach goals. I mean, I'm talking BHAGs and I'm sure your team has BHAGs. That's big, hairy, audacious goals, right? Stretch things. Well, anyway, I'm talking to her over coffee at her, one of her coffee stops up in, in the great city of Norman, Oklahoma. And, and she says, dad, here's all my plans. Boom, boom, boom. And I've got these goals. Boom, boom, boom. And she puts numbers to them and she does dates and she does timelines. And I'm going, you're a BFA major. And you're doing business, really, she's doing business goal setting. Is that not cool? I, I love it. I mean, one of the things that I've discovered early on between my interests in, in merging all of these worlds is, you know, you need at the end of the day, no matter what you're doing, you can look at the most successful artists that are pure artists. They hold themselves accountable. Measurability enables accountability. And so it's incredibly important that whatever we do and whatever we practice, we're able to quantify it in a way that supports us and not suppresses us or puts it in a box. I love that. So let me just drill down a little deeper on inline because this company fascinates me. You started back in 2019, I believe was the starting date for this baby of yours called inline today. And I want to ask you a quick question. You have a, you have a statement that's out that says we work with enterprise level C-suite and business leaders in diverse industries to address misalignment, dissolve silos. Now, keep in mind, in our world, we had these silos, partner, manager, staff. You had everybody in their own little silo. Right. But I love this part, promote optimal functioning within teams and across departments. What does optimal mean to inline in terms of an organization? The reason we, I love that question, actually, because the reason words matter we chose the word optimal there because things, you should never strive to be perfect. Perfect is unattainable and it will constantly, if you set your happiness benchmark to that, you're, it's always gonna be a, a, across the horizon. So you'll never be able to meet it. Optimal, however, is it changes as you change, as the goals change, as the intention changes, as the priorities change. And so you can continue to optimize as a practice. And the key is the words, across departments, because we have a little nasty habit in this world of othering 
people who are either not like us or who are in other departments, for instance, other countries, other practices, other politics. And that is what we do at Inline is we do the opposite of othering. We help people connect to themselves at a deeper level. I'm pointing to my own heart and to one another. And so when we do that across departments, we can solve for the challenges that cannot be solved within one area or a couple areas of focus. It takes everyone. Do you utilize pronouns like they or them in your business, or do you do what we do? So we have this little swear jar, and it's not really a swear jar at our office (laughs) if you're in person. If you're virtual, we send you a note on it our inner office teams that you got to put a dollar in next time you're in for a team meeting, which is about every three months, but we have this swear jar. If they use a non-inclusive pronoun and what I mean by this, and I'm not getting hung up on this pronoun stuff, but what we say is, is we're a team. It's always a, we, it's always an us. We never say, well, they in the marketing department or those people over in operations. Cause what that's doing is building walls, right? And your job is to build bridges. Is it not really within line? You're just building those communication bridges, operation bridges. You're building the leadership bridges so that everybody is inclusive on the team going for one target goal, right? That's exactly right. And instead of the word, I would use the word goal, but I would also bring it up a level to intention. What is the intention of the company? And does your individual intention as a person, because you always get to choose what your intention is, right? Is it either the same or mutually beneficial? If it is, then you can do great things. That is awesome stuff. Let's talk a little bit deeper dive. Now, Rach, this is a an early Monday morning, but I'm sorry. I hope you had your coffee. We're going to dive in a little deep here. You use some um, you use some words or acronyms like EQ. Now, don't laugh. I'm a mathematics guy, so I know greater than signs. You remember the alligator eats the smaller, right? So what Mm -hmm. I do is I always said EQ is greater than IQ for hiring purposes, but EQ equals IQ or EQ plus IQ equals greatness after you've started your career. Give us a little background on EQ and its importance to alignment. That's beautiful. So One of the key parts of EQ, emotional intelligence, is being self-aware so that you can engage with others in a way that promotes whatever you want to do and how you want to show up. And so if you think about the definition of alignment, when actions accurately reflect priorities and intentions, the first question someone might ask themselves is, okay, if actions accurately reflect priorities and intentions, what's my intention? It really elevates someone's own self-awareness of something they might never have asked themselves before. And here's why. People don't necessarily recognize how much choice they actually have because an intention, unlike a company goal or objective, is something they, we all get to choose. What is my intention? And so when you think of EQ and building bridges and connecting with yourself and other people, it's through intention that we can create agreement and we can have a place to build off from that is mutually beneficial. If you'd like to create misalignment or have a fight, don't start with intent, start with action because you can always disagree all day on the you know the right or the wrong next step, right? It's pretty hard actually to disagree at the intention level if you're on the same team or with the same um, organization or the same objective, because either the intention is the same or it's mutually beneficial. And so the other part of EQ that's really critical to this practice is knowing how to use language in a way that promotes those bridges. And we, we can go into what that is and, and all of that, but I'll, I'll leave it there for now. No, great explanation of emotional quotient. I will tell you that I have a great team. I am surrounded by extraordinary professionals and they just happen to be uh, female. But I'm saying to you, it is a wonderful way that they've helped me as a leader communicate with a little bit more comprehensive nature 
uh, when I first started in this career, I may be talking to you. I did the old drive-by delegation. I may be talking to you in your office and then just get an idea and walk out while I'm still talking. Kind of the old George Costanza, you got to follow me in the men's restroom to get all, get all the information. I did that. I don't do that anymore. But my emotional quotient is so much higher than when I was 29 years of age. Mm-hmm. I, won't, I won't tell you how old I am. Guess how old I am, Rachel. How old do you think I am? Oh, goodness. I did not try to look this up. I'm going to say... 45? Oh, boy, you're going to be on the show for the next three weeks. Okay, folks, she <laughs> is a wonderful lady. Uh, I'm, I'm 57 and a half almost, so uh, I'm holding my youth well. Yeah, holding my youth well. So my emotional quotient has developed and grown, as everyone should. We don't stay the same. We're not dormant people, right? So give me a little bit more depth on emotional quotient use in gaining the alignment and not just gaining, but retaining that alignment as we grow our organization. Cause that's the real key, right? None of us. And I say this to people, companies are just like human beings and they'll look at me funny and I'll go, you're either progressing or you're regressing in life. There is no status quo. A human being has time transpiring, whether you like it or not, I can't stop it. So you're either moving forward or going backwards. How does emotional quotient work in alignment for purposes of companies? That's, that's a, it's a, it's a great question. And to me, it is almost two sides of the same coin. We talk about connection, alignment and connection matter because our core belief, and, and I think you're one of your core beliefs, it sounds like, is that people are meant to thrive. Well, that's great. You could just go around and tell people you should thrive and they'll be like, cool. How do I do that? the attainability of thriving is where the rubber meets the road, right? And so it's through understanding how to leverage EQ. It's through understanding how to connect it. And alignment is the foundational practice for that. And so what I mean by that is, I'm going to go on a teeny little bit of a tangent because it circles right back to what we're talking about. If you think of EQ as a way of understanding yourself and others at a deeper level, being able to connect, being able to accomplish things together that are so much bigger than you ever able to imagine, right? It takes talking, literally talking to a person, right? You use language to do that. Now, this language that we're all using, English, it's really, if you think about it, the language of a conquering people. Old English, Middle English, Modern English, I have a friend who's an English teacher. He was required to actually look at old English and middle English texts. And I laughed. It it literally looked like a completely foreign language. There is very little um, similarity to it. Why? Because all of the wars throughout human history have created this version of English that we speak. English itself was never the language of people who came together peacefully and integrated and collaborated happily across borders. No, no, no. Let's be clear. There were wars involved, lots and lots of wars. And so when you have a language, and this is, by the way, much like many other modern languages, so I'm not singling out English, but English itself has a pretty rife history of this. And when you have a history of a language that is steeped in war, what do you get for a dialect? Well, let's go back to quantitative stuff right now. If you look up the number, the sheer number of synonyms for the words power and control versus collaboration and thriving, you will notice that there are far more words to use to talk about power and control and suppression than there are thriving and collaboration. Now, why does this matter with EQ? If we have a language that has physically less words and words that have far more, we'll call it energy and weight beyond face value, that might not actually connect with our own intention of what we're trying to bring to the moment, we have a language that's not set up to help us connect and collaborate and build bridges. And so if you are using EQ and coming to an organization as the full expression of yourself to help others and to connect, right? To do all of the things that we're talking about, the use of your own words matter because they carry that weight and energy beyond face value. English has a history of suppression of workers, gender, ethnicities, emotions, lots of stuff. And so our challenge really, not problem at all, 
with inline was how do we take language, English, and create a subset of words to use to help people speak to each other in a way to answer the following question. Someone says to me, so I really want to get stuff done, Rachel. I don't see a lot of that happening around me. So I come off as a know-it-all, a bully, the rigid one, the bossy one, right? But that's not my intention. What do I do differently? It's actually about the words that we use and the way that we speak to each other. And that's actually a core part of how we, again, EQ, the rubber meets the road, how we take EQ and interpret it to build bridges by using language that helps people connect to one another. This episode of Live a Life by Design is sponsored by Compass Capital Management. Life has a way of overwhelming you. At Compass Capital Management, you will receive confidence in your financial security as we provide direction, clarity, and vision for your future. Our unique process, the Life Plan Solution, will be the guide to you reaching your goals and realizing your dreams in life. Stop worrying about your future and contact Compass Capital Management to help you live the life you desire. Go to www.compasscapitalmgt.com and request your retirement account or employer plan review today. Register principal securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research Incorporated, a broker-dealer member FINRA SIPC. Jimmy J. Williams is an investment advisor representative of Compass Capital Management LLC, a registered investment advisor. Cambridge and Compass Capital Management LLC are not affiliated. 321 South 3rd Suite 4, McAllister, Oklahoma 74501. You know, I've got the feeling, uh, to be honest with you, Rach, this may be a part two of inline on our podcast because I want to dive deeper than we probably have time today. That is some awesome information. And I love the way that you're using that to help bring the alignment of each on the team that has a whole different background, uh, maybe a different education, different cultures. You know, we are uh, very diversified in our group. I have ethnicities of different, mainly probably every one of our people has a different ethnicity than my own. And mm-hmm. I love that because it gives us such opportunity to learn from one another. And that again, as a company grows, right? So talk to me a little bit about uh, a couple of things. So you got into a business far different than your mother and dad. Who were your mentors to get in this line of work? I mean, who did you look up to? Mm, I love that. So a couple names come to mind uh, because of the quotes that I have deeply resonated with because of these folks. But I'll, I'll start at my nuclear circle, which is my mom. She showed, not told, something very fundamental to how I practice life, which is show up. No matter what's going on, no matter anything going on in your day, who you're connecting with, what you know, doubts creep in, whatever it is, your responsibility, your job, your light through the tunnel is to show up. You do that, you win. You just show up. And so, so now is mom the theater or the mathematics? She is the theater. <laughs> so, so, but think about what she's telling you, though. I think that's a great, great uh, piece of advice. In the theater, whether you feel good, whether you don't, the show must go on. So you, you've got to show up and be your best you to give of your best yourself so that those can be uh, touched in a way that it, it brings change to the audience. I love that. Yes. And so that was my, and you know, she, she actually passed away, um, sadly in my, in my twenties. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Thank you. And, um, I never got to thank her for that, but after she passed away, I I became very reflective about my life with her and just feeling so grateful that I got to know her as a, as a person, especially in my twenties, when I no longer thought I knew the world better than everyone around me. And so I got to be able to thank her in my own way for that, because that's actually the biggest gift I think I've ever received was the modeling of showing up to the world and what that means, which allows me to be able to do the things that I've been able to do. And as a corollary to that, there are two quotes that I, um, if there are ever a mentor, right? Be the change you wish to see in the world. If you're in the business of making things better, Gandhi's on your list. Gandhi, I, I got to tell you, read a story about Gandhi. A young boy came to him that was hooked on sweets. Uh, this is in India, right? India, pretty impoverished country at that time of his, of his leadership. 
and he's a very passive change maker, right? So he didn't bring an ax, a gun. He brought his mind to this process and he sat down and this mother brought him up there and, uh, said her little boy needs some guidance, direction, something profound to help him learn in life. And he looked at the little boy and he said, come back in two weeks and I will have for you the information that will help your life. He leaves, he comes back in two weeks. And the mother says, you know, I, I brought him up here. What, why do we have to wait two weeks? You're the great, you know, Mahatma Gandhi. You're, you're the man of all knowledge for India. He said, well, I had to have integrity to speak to your son. She said, what? He had to go for those two weeks and get himself off of sweets. So he could then tell this young man how to change his life. You see, without integrity, your mom said the one thing that really shined on you show up. She didn't feel great all the time. She still showed up. You know, I do this for our team. I seldom, seldom will call in sick. Maybe once or twice in 10 years have I called in sick. Uh, first of all, I work for one of the meanest guys in town, Rachel. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I say that to people to go, well, who is it? Who is it? And I'll go look in the mirror. Every morning I shave, I have this disagreement or argument or discussion. Anyway, so so my, my point to mentors, look how that helped shape your life. And I'm a big believer that mentors play a role. Not that I want you to duplicate or assimilate your mother. I want you to take what she told you and be a better Rachel, right? And that's what you're doing. Gandhi, another good one. So I got to ask you though, if you didn't have this career, what other career in the world, any career in the world, what would it be if you didn't do what you're doing now as a passion? So I had actually thought about this a while because I, I always ask myself these thought experiments. And I think the reason you're asking the question, I'm kind of, kind of interested in your answer on this. Too, you don't right? want to read my journals. I'm telling you, I could be anything under the sun, man. I have so many passions and I, I do the same thing in my journals, but you go right ahead with yours. Exactly. So a couple answers come to mind of what I wanted to do before I discovered this, because again, when you create something that didn't exist before, it's not like you grew up thinking that you were going to, you know, cr eventually create this. I, I didn't just have a thought drop into me when I was five and said, you're going to run a firm about alignment that changes everything. Like that didn't happen. Right. Right. And so I thought, and again, caught between two worlds, right? Interior designer, hedge fund quant, math professor, those would probably be, or a writer. Those would be the things and you can see it's like polar opposites. Like there is very little in common between a hedge fund quant uh, and, and an interior designer or between a writer and a, and a math professor. Um, and so now my answer to that question would vary very differently. Knowing everything I know now my whole life, right? If I wasn't doing what I'm doing now, I think I would be a peace negotiator. Ooh, that's big. Yeah, it's the exact skill set that we show up with at companies. These are the same languages, tools, processes, everything that you would do in peace negotiation to make things more effective and how to create agreement and help people see and hear each other and not other each other because that's where problems start on I, big scales and small scales. I don't want to get too deep on this on being peace negotiator, but I've got a prepaid flight for you. It's only one way until you get the job done. Then I'll send you the ticket to return. But could you go oh. to Ukraine and Russia and talk some sense to these people? Not going to get there in deep. Just wanted to mention that to you. I love that. Well, so you know what I would say, though? The, the, honestly, Jimmy, I love that. That's, that's hilarious. And also, there's some truth to it, right? But here's the thing. Unless, so if you think about people's intentions, because that's where we would start, Putin's intention is far different than the intention of, I would say, most of his countrymen and most of Ukraine. And because of that, if you don't have an intention where you can create agreement, either that peace would have to be negotiated around that person or, you, or that intention would have to shift. That person, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. You're showing up with an intention that is completely not mutually beneficial or the same as someone else. How do you start that? Then you take other peace negotiation tactics, which are not, you know, right. uh, direct around language and, and, and seeing and hearing each other because there is none of that. You know, you brought up peace negotiator, dear, and we just go wherever we want to go on this podcast. This isn't script derived. So my apologies if I got you away from alignment. But, oh my gosh. Uh, no, that, I, I thought about this. That's why I, that's why I was able to, to go there. It's, it's, it's intention. What is your intention? If it's mutually so, beneficial, then you can create yeah. something. 
So it come down to an emotional level for me because I had a trip to Europe planned with my lovely wife to spend a month in Europe. And one of my stops was St. Petersburg. Uh, mm. Guess what? I don't necessarily feel like going to the, the wonderful country of Russia right now with all this turmoil. So uh, I'll right. wait till you report back. Okay. You get on over there and I'll, uh, I'll get you report back to me. Hey, real quickly. So a couple <laughs> of questions, you know, they, they have this saying in my world that the cobbler's children has no shoes, right? They, they have no shoes on. Um, how do you keep yourself in alignment? You're, you're a busy professional. You got a personal life. You're starting new companies. You're just doing all of this. How do you keep yourself in what I call Rachel alignment? I love that. So there's a couple of questions I ask myself, and it's the same thing I would encourage you and your listeners to do, which is I start and I ask myself, what is my intention? I get to choose it. I'm not the victim or the warrior or any other character in a story. I'm the author of my life. What is my intention? That can then help me understand what my priorities and actions need to be on any given day or moment. The other thing that I do is I ask myself, where are my actions not reflective of my intention? And being honest about it. Because here's the beautiful thing when when we define alignment in the way that we do. Notice that the person is never mentioned. It's action, priority, and intention. This is on purpose. Like the way that we crafted this definition is this way because it allows white space for a person to be able to be reflective of their own actions without feeling blame, shame, or judgment of themselves. And so because of that, you can start to make real change when you're not beating up on yourself. Because if your actions aren't really reflective of your intention, then you can shift it. You can choose to do that. And it's all about choice, recognizing how much choice you actually have, which we can get into a whole conversation about why that's important. But that, that, is, that is a big tenant of what we do is helping people recognize their own choices and that they have choice. I tell you what, I am gaining more from this than, than, than you could imagine. So, so Rachel, let me say this in my journaling, which I'm, I'm just prolific about it. I, I just journal every day. I've got volumes and none of my family has read them. No one's eyes have seen them except mine. And I put it, I put in my trust documents for my kids and, and my wife knows is no one's to read them until I've, I've gone on. And because it gives you some insight to my brain, my way of thinking, why, why I smiled all the time. You know, life was not always good, but I made it better. Does you see where the difference is? It's all controlling this, right? So in your way of speaking, you say that basically, what is my intention? This is another way of asking that question is, what were my activities that could be improved from this day? I learn every day. What could I have done differently that would have made the situation better? And then what lesson did I learn that I could use tomorrow to grow from that? that those are my two questions I put in my journal every day. I know it's kind of deep, but that's no, the kind of stuff I talk that's about. Great. Yeah. I love it. It's it's continuous improvement. I, I will tell you, Jimmy, and um, I guess everyone now listening to this will know my dirty little secret because I have one. Um, that it is oh, something- wait a minute, folks. This is getting juicy. Pay attention to this. All right, go ahead. <laughs> so I had, keyword had, because I eventually fessed up to this and decided to um, recycle these. I had probably uh, six journals lying around, all kind of half-ish or less, maybe somewhat much less, finished. I had every intention in the world when I was younger to journal, and it never really materialized. But you know the one thing that I did right about all of that is, A, I found a way to make it work for me. So now I actually have an app on my phone that I can text myself the journal entry, and which makes it way easier. But before I discovered this, the one thing that I wrote down that changed my entire course of my life, along with showing up, was when I was a freshman in college. And on the first day of my honors program uh, orientation, I felt so grateful to be there because my family too placed a huge importance on education. And the dean of the honors program or the president at the time, he said one sentence, and I wrote it, he said many sentences, but there was this one sentence and I wrote it down in my journal. And I think that was the one entry for the first couple of months of my <laughs> experience. And it was strive for what's above you or succumb to what's around you and sink to what's below you. I'll say that again for everyone. That's so awesome. I, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I really, right? Like it really, it's profound. That strive is. for what's above you 
or you'll succumb to what's around you and sink to what's below you. And if you think about that, what comes to mind to me, I'm curious about what comes to mind to you. When I think about that sentence, I think, huh, if I audit my actions, right? You're a CPA. I've always used the word audit there, by the way. (laughs) Um, So yeah, if I audit my actions to this intention, this idea, this belief, then I have no artificial ceiling and no artificial floor because suddenly the only thing that I'm ever doing is looking at myself in relationship to myself. There is no more toxic comparison between me and other people. I will never be the king of an anthill or so tiny that I can't reach the first step. That is powerful. So to me, all of that really goes into my thriving, which I want to ask a little bit more about your thrive approach. I know you have uh, the the capability for people to um, go in and subscribe to your newsletter on thriving and those things. And I want to talk about that briefly a moment, but that statement is so profound. I'm going to include that in the show notes, folks, so everybody can get that down. But think about those three areas. So if you're striving and continuing to grow and seek growth every day, you don't get bogged down and mired into the the mud and the muck where all the mediocrity is. You see where I'm going? You're striving, you're growing, and you're getting what's considered to be the best of the best out of your life. Man, I tell you what, you may have to have him on the podcast for statements like that. That man may be somebody I need to talk to. But anyway, <laughs> let's yeah. talk about thriving. So, you know, I'm a I'm a thriver from way back. I'll be honest with you. If you looked in my early journals, when I had not a penny, I left mm-hmm. undergrad school with three thousand something dollars saved. I bought two suits, don't laugh, five white shirts, several ties of different colors. I was in the going back in 1987, dear. That got you in the race. Yeah, but I had no reserves of money. I had no assets outside my own vehicle. I lived in an apartment and married a beautiful woman that said, Hey, I am banking more on your potential than your current net worth. And that worked out for me. So (laughs) for you. let me, let me talk to you. Talk about how we can get people involved in thriving and understanding that concept as you presented at inline. Absolutely. So that's the whole goal. The only reason we focus on connection and alignment is so that we can thrive. That is my core belief is that people are meant to thrive and that organizations also, teams of people are meant to thrive. The rubber meets the road in the attainability of it. And so to attain a life where you prosper and a work where you prosper, it is alignment. It's literally, what is your intention? How do you prioritize those things that align with your intention, connect to it? And then what actions are you taking? And then you look at that on an individual person scale and then across a team and across the organization. And then also in your own life, when you think about what alignment really looks like, it's what feels good to me and what doesn't nourish me. That that word nourish, I, I like more than feels good because sometimes things can temporarily feel good. But if you think about the word nourish, that's where it's at. Because I will tell you right now, I'm 36 thinking 10 years back, my life way more thriving now than it was at 26 years old. Um, And it's primarily because things were out of alignment and the attainability of thriving is in, the, the rubber meets the road is the how. The foundational practice of alignment helps make thriving attainable at a very real level because it's about action. Just like that culture poster board that, that one of my um, clients very honestly brought up onto the Zoom call and showed it to me. He's like, see, we have it. We have all these words. We just, what's the issue? Because they're just words. If oh, you I love that. Follow it up with action. You can't get there. And if you can't get there, how the heck can you thrive? You know, we have four corporate attributes and it's on our logos. It's on our, uh, all the stuff that we can put on letterhead. It's on everything in the office. It's on little placards throughout the office. And we choose a word of the year. Uh, for these four. So we use these four, but we choose a word of the year to augment those four attributes and show them in a brighter light. And this year, guess what? You know, I couldn't help it. A pandemic came out. We had a great year last year, even with the pandemic, because where there's disruption and chaos to us, there's opportunity. And so an opportunity to serve opportunity to help, you know, whatever it takes. 
but uh, this year's word. So our team <laughs> had all of this laminated uh, for my daughter says, dad, you don't have to put stuff on paper anymore. You know, we don't need to save the tree. I get that, but don't, don't anyone write back to me negatively, but I put these all on paper and had them laminated so I could put them on everybody's office while it was a weekend. I go down, I put this on everybody's desk and on the virtual team, I had it mailed to them ahead of time. Said, get it on that same Monday. They all walk in at the same time because we have a Monday morning briefing. And so we, they all sit down and they go, what is this? And I had the word elevate written in so many different ways, typed up, you know, on this nice demonstrative aid. And they go, well, what's elevate? And I said, everything, our kindness, our consistency, our, our resourcefulness, our unity, our communication. So I just went through this whole, you know, and as you said, words are powerful. And the team said, so the, this is our word of the year. And I said, yep, this is the word of the year. We're going to elevate everything we do. And then I asked the team to judge me. So I don't know if you do this. I do something unique to most leaders. I get evaluated by my team at least once annually on a very, um, it's, it's, it, I don't know who does it. It's just a, a, basically a Google doc that's sent to me by each of the team. I don't know who sends what they put it on the server. I don't know who sent it, but I do get an evaluation and I take those to heart because I want to be in line to use your company name with my team, that alignment's important to me to be a leader of an aligned team. So talk a little bit about how we can use some of those words, Rachel, like you've talked so much about on this episode, how can we use some of those roads to empower our team to alignment? So using words to empower our team, I'm going to go with the things that don't sound empowering. Are you ready? Cause then you can really see it. I'm ready. I'm an optimist, but go ahead now. I mean, take notes. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Okay. So must, have to, no choice, need to. What? If you come over the top, I'm literally taking my hand and putting it over my head, right? Kind of throwing the ball. If you come over the top like that in a rigid way, how can someone think outside the box to help you get that thing to fruition and done? It doesn't happen. And so language itself, the way we show up, If you show up without the language of allowing, of curiosity, of choice, what happens? I'm just, I'm curious. What do you think would happen if you showed up, not, if you showed up the opposite? So not allowing, very rigid, not curious, more commanding, controlling, and um, like, would you prosper? Would you even be here? No, no. I I think you'd be very frank with your company would regress to the point that you'd lose valuable team members and you'd see value go out the door of which you invested thousands, thousands, tens of thousands of dollars to get to this point in their career and you'd see them leave. So, so I, I think that is powerful, powerful stuff. So we want to work on our vocabulary and work on our use of our uh, language. Now I'm a big believer in nonverbal communication. As you know, that's the larger of the two pieces, verbal, smaller. And so I never, you'll never see me cross my arms in front of my team at a meeting, or you'll never see me cross my legs uh, as a lady sometimes does. She sits in the chair, you know, I'm not don't take this wrong, ladies. I'm not just stretched out as a chair and laid back like I'm at a at a uh, an evening concert or something that out in the out in the in the grassy knoll somewhere to park. But I am sitting upright and paying attention and want people to know I'm here to hear you and I'm here to listen and observe you. But I want to do the same to them. So I want I want both parties having this communication, not a dictation. Does that make sense? Oh my gosh, absolutely. In fact, one of the things that um certain clients of mine are working on at the exact moment that we're talking, right? Is there's weight and waste. Why am I talking? Why am I still talking? Another one is listening to understand instead of listening to respond. And that's one that it's it's really difficult for a lot of people because we're raised in environments and we're surrounded. If you think about like the talking heads on the news, right? Do they listen to understand each other? No, no, they do not. I they don't listen. think they listen, period. You could have stopped at that right. sentence, period. Yeah. Right. They listen to respond, if anything, as in they'll take whatever word they want to latch on to and then kind of go in their own direction. If you do that, you're not making any connection with the other person. You're not making any change happen. You're not creating value together. And creating value is literally the definition of innovation. And if you're not growing, what are you doing? Absolutely. And true leadership, as you know, and I know you espouse this too, Rachel, with your team, True leadership for me is to get a team member to accept a certain action or a need for a client or something that they're not real passionate about, but take ownership of it and create a passion around it. 
That to me is the leadership I try to instill in our team. I'm not always 100% successful, but I always strive or thrive in your term to do that. So I'm going to talk to you about something a little more personal. Is that okay? You're 36 years of age. You've seen a few things in life, right? Yeah, I could summarize my existence to a great extent as I got really good at being really resilient, Jimmy, and then I realized I wanted more. Hey, I love it. Salmon, they don't get life spawned for further uh, procreation by staying in the easy water. They climb over the rushing water in reverse, right? So that resilience pays off. I want to ask you this. What has been in your 36 years of life on this planet, the most fulfilling event in your life? Mm. You know what? My answer yesterday would be different than today. And Great. I love that. Yeah. It literally, this is, this is a perfectly timed, uh, you know, kind of universally timed um, podcast because this morning, my partner came to me and told me he read, he read through, I think it, no, this happened, I'm trying to think this happened last night. And then this morning it like continued. He read through a post that he had posted on Reddit about a realization and a breakthrough that he was working on for the last year and a half. Like a lot of people during the pandemic, it shook him to the core on a lot of things and had him questioning a lot of stuff. And so he's been doing a lot of deep transformational work with himself. No one would ever know it from the outside, right? It's all, it's all internal. And he read this post and I swear to you, I literally not ugly cried, but I started having, like, I started tearing up because I realized the very work I might get really choked up now, the very work that I have been doing with people and with myself, all of these years led to me being now we've been married for seven years. Um, having a partner who I've been able to support through that same work, that same process and seeing this come to life in such a real way for a person that I deeply care about, having him be lit from within, have more inner joy, more capacity to feel and capacity to lead in a way that connects deeply with people, I think is honestly up until this point, there are many things that I've done that I'm incredibly proud of seeing that change in someone in real time and actually seeing the conclusion of it, right? Cause it's been a year and a half and that's been a, it's been a thing um, that has been so internally incredibly fulfilling. I think it's one of the reasons I'm here is to do this with, with, with people, with myself, with, with the people around me. Man, that is awesome. And it goes proven folks, for those of you listening that are female and we have a lot of female listeners, I don't understand how the engineer gets these stats or who's what, <laughs> but I do want the ladies to understand that we men are not all orators, but we are good listeners and can be trained. Rachel trained this gentleman to, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, <laughs> but my, my wife has often told me as my, my father told me as a young lad, when he uh, heard me listening to people that were speaking, I just love people that are good speakers. You know, you're Ronald Reagan's that can command a stage. Uh, you're Tony Robbins that walks on fire and just does stuff like this. Well, I uh, have been told since I was about six is the earliest I can recall it. It may have been before then, but that's all I can recall is I had two ears and one mouth, Rachel. Mm. Yes. The problem is the mouth has greater muscle capacity, but that's all I can tell you about that <laughs> while we're on a podcast. Hey, real quickly, a couple of things before I let you wrap this up. What you, you do a lot of things, man. You're a busy professional woman and you got family and all that. What? So What's your daily routine like? Give our listeners an idea of what, what's it like? When do we get up? What do we do? How do we make all this fall in, to use your term, alignment for you on a very microcosm, a daily basis? I love it. So one of my strengths about myself is that I'm very pattern oriented, meaning over the time of my life, I can see what I'm doing and kind of re-engineer, reverse engineer why I might be doing the things that I'm doing maybe choose better things, things that are more optimized for my own functioning and for the functioning of my company and my life and those around me. Um, I personally, again, it has a lot to do with the words and where words come from. The words work, um, the words routine, those are things that I personally, it doesn't resonate with me. And so what I do is what, what nourishes me in my life as a routine, as a practice, as a way of collaborating with others. I use that word a lot more than I do work. And so in my own life, um, it really is me recognizing on a daily basis at the beginning of the day and an end of a day, what is my intention? 
Did I fulfill this intention? How could I fulfill it more? And, and that can change on any given day. So I, I leave, given the way that I work and the way that we're really uh, steeped, right? Uh, our responsibility is steeped in thought leadership. Right. I leave myself room for a lot of white space, probably more traditionally than a lot of other professionals would um, because of the very nature of the work that we do. And so, yes, uh, client engagements, um, you know, alignment coaching, our experiences with companies, they're all scheduled and they're on the books. I work around that to give myself white space to think and create, but then also connect with my team. And so on any given day, my schedule could look wildly different, but it all is in support of the intention that I have. Um, and that also means I hold myself accountable. So if I end up doing something early in the day that is not work-related and I have to work until 10 p.m. as a result, so be it. I'm going to make sure that by the end of the day, the things that I need to get done are done. Um, and so that that like lack of structure, but intentional structure is probably the best way to say it. That white space is, is what I um, align around so that I can show up as, as my full self. Man, that is powerful. Uh, Rachel, I got the feeling that I'm probably going to talk to your press uh, group. I'm, I'm going to have to have you on again. We're going to have to dive a little deeper in another episode. Will that be I okay? Oh my gosh, this is so much fun. I, I would, I would welcome this. I, I love the way you think. One of my favorite things about conversing with you is the questions that you ask and what comes to mind for you. It's really fun. So if you'll go to our website at livealifeby.design slash Jimmy's top reads, you'll see some of this stuff I feed my <laughs> mind with on there. I gain no, no money from the books. I just link. You can go on Amazon and get them. And one of them is, is start with why I always love Simon and I shared the stage in Las Vegas. I spoke at a conference a few years ago, that book alone probably changed a little bit of my team's thinking. Cause we require our team every quarter to read a book that's going to bring value and greatness to their life. And then the second one is, is the answers are in the questions. Yeah. And it was written by an MIT professor. And I love that because I just started thinking in my line of work, I just need to ask questions. A lot of clients like yourself though, may be able to talk and get the, the concern that you have out in verbal form so I can understand and communicate. A lot of people hold it close to the vest. They just are afraid to show weakness and they think, well, if I show weakness, I'm going to get something bad happen. That's not the case here. And I thank you so much today for helping us as we learn to thrive and get our own lives, not just our teams into alignment with our own core beliefs and attributes that has been so helpful. Um, I want to give a shout out her website for teams alignment. If you want to look up her services is www.getgetinline, I-N-L-I-G-N. That's G-E-T-I-N-L-I-G-N.com. And they'll be glad to get with you and give you some good information. She actually has a free, I believe, newsletter. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. It's the alignment newsletter. <laughs> you know, your creativity will lost me on that one, kiddo. I thought it'd be something like, you know, jive and thrive or something. But anyway, the <laughs> creative alignment, the the alignment newsletter, excuse me, alignment newsletter, or is it alignment? How do they get there? Yeah. So if you go to getinline.com, that's where we work with leaders and teams on creating greater alignment within organizations and with their own selves. And the alignment newsletter, we thought we'd keep it simple because we'll be releasing other things that have that exact same kind of terminology. So just make reducing cognitive load is also another tenant of what we do. And so we figured we'd go with that approach. You did great. I'm just picking on, you know what, Rachel, I got to tell you, I use this as one of my dogmas in life. I only pick on people I like. So I like a lot I of love people. It. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us. Rachel Richter of Inline, the corporation that help you and your team become more in alignment for greater well-being, happiness, peace, and yes, accomplishment. That's the goal. So Rachel, thank you so much for being here. Oh, you're, you're so welcome. It's been an honor and a pleasure. And I look forward to doing this again. This has been awesome. It certainly has for us as well. Wow. What an opportunity today to learn how you can take your life, your approach to your business, your approach to the company you work with to the next level by implementing just a few of these thoughts and strategies about your emotional quotient how you can take this opportunity to be a bigger contributor to the value you bring to the world. The folks at Inline have done an outstanding job. I've not worked with them before, but the people I have talked with are just 
so bragging on them as to how well they created a great value and alignment in their organization. So I encourage you today, if you get an opportunity, look in the show notes and uh, go online and get the free newsletter. It'd be something I think that'd be very beneficial. I know we're going to be doing that for our own company. And then as we always say, the challenge this week for you is to look within yourself for a few moments each day, determine what you've done well, determine what you can improve. Take that time to improve and bring your better, bolder, and bigger self to the world. The world is expecting it from you and needs your contributions. And with that, I hope that you this week can live a life by design. You can get a complete transcript of today's show online at livealifeby.design. If you like the show, please tell your friends and family about it. Also, we would be very appreciative if you would leave a review of the show wherever you listen to podcasts. This has been a Life Master Key production. The program is copyrighted by Jimmy J. Williams and Company, all rights reserved. Our production assistant is Amy Cotton. Our intern is Brindley. Mm-hmm.